Thank you all for being here this morning. Like the Christmas lights? It's kind of like a Christmas tree. Sort of. Sort of, kind of. So did you have a good week? Everybody survive? Sort of. Some of you look like you survived a little better than others. I won't name any names. We're in the middle of a series entitled God's Blueprints. Uh, we're in trying to figure out exactly how God wants us to do church. How he wants us to um, be his bride. We're in the book of 1 Timothy. So if you want to start you know, getting, getting a little proactive and working your way that way, we're going to look at a passage of scripture in 1 Timothy that's not preached about very often. Somebody may use it in a, a small group to uh, land blast somebody that's not treating someone right, but this isn't brought from a pulpit very often. And there's good reason, because uh, all week this week I've been very anxious about bringing this passage of Scripture. So bear with me. Um, we're going to do the best we can to, to um, dive into the Scripture and try to pull some things out of it. Uh, I've got four or five principles. I think there's five principles that we're going to try to pull out of this passage of Scripture to help us uh, be the church that God wants us to be. Dealing with a spiritual leader. Let me ask you this. Have you ever, um, have, have you, let's talk about what we've, what we've covered so far in this series. Have you learned anything in this series? Yeah? Learned a little bit? Can you remember anything from this series earlier in the series? This is number eight in this series, by the way. Anybody? Yeah? Can you look back at your notes and cheat and say, oh, I learned this. What was last Sunday about? Godliness. Yeah. Put godliness in action. Anybody? Can, can you remember any of the other ones before that? All right. I guess we'll start over with number one next week, and we'll just go through this series again. How to work. I've learned a lot from this series and First uh, Timothy, and, and I was in the, uh, I don't know, you call your car a squad car, Matt? So what you call it? We're in the squad car with Matt for about seven or eight hours the other night. And um, I was telling him that this, you know, this passage of scriptures has just kind of boggled my mind. This series has been one that is is so personal to me because it feels like Paul's writing directly to me. Not that I'm a young man, but Timothy was at the time. And he was a, a young man trying to take care of a, a local congregation. And so it's very personal to me. And um, as I go through it, it's just like Paul's talking directly to me. And um, it's, been, it's been really good for me. As we saw in the early parts of this series, the Lord's Church is to be organized a certain way. There are to be leaders, elders, deacons, evangelists, preachers, teachers... Each play a very important role. And being the bride of Christ, the church, we want to learn to interact with those leaders in a biblical way. Our relationship with them should be, should be informed by Scripture, should be informed by God's Word. Uh, not just, uh, let's see here, let's, since we deal with this person like that, then let's just deal with this guy like that way, that way too. We should learn from Scripture. So I want us to look at a passage of Scripture today, 1 Timothy chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 17. If you can get there with me in your, in your Bibles, I'd appreciate it and follow along. 
This one's not on the screen. Actually, there's several verses that won't be on the screen today, um, just because they're of length, and so we don't want to don't want to bog down the projector. I know it wouldn't bog down the projector. It's just hard to read that much. All right, so you ready? First Timothy chapter five, starting in verse 17. Everybody with me? All right. Elders who do their work well should be respected and paid well. Especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. For the scripture says you must not muzzle the ox to keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. And in another place, those who work deserve their pay. Verse 19, do not listen to an accusation against an elder unless it's confirmed by two or three witnesses. Those who sin should be reprimanded in front of the whole church. And this will serve as a strong warning to others. I solemnly command you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, the highest angels and Order, obey these instructions without taking sides or without showing favoritism to anyone. Never be in a hurry about appointing a church leader. Do not share in their sins, in the sins of others, and keep yourselves pure. Drink, don't drink only water. You ought to drink a little wine for your sake of your stomach, because you are sick often. Remember, the sins of some people are obvious, leading them to certain judgment. But those but there are others whose sins will not be revealed until later. In the same way, the good deeds of some people are obvious, and the good deeds done in secret will someday come to light. As a guy, I have a tendency to overlook instructions. Putting furniture together, I would rather just kind of figure it out. Anybody else like that around here? <laughs> When it comes to Christmas gifts, those little things you get to put together Christmas morning, or maybe you do it before and you hide it somewhere. How many of you follow those instructions? Typically, I don't. There are some in the room who do. For those, I applaud you. But it's typical for us to just kind of wing it and see what happens, and and then if we run into a problem, go go back and figure it out. To be honest, I've been using YouTube a lot lately. For some reason, there is just about every make and model of, of car on, on YouTube. And, and you can just type in, um, the first time I used it was a, uh, was a mirror that I replaced on my Chevy Malibu. I ordered the part from, I don't even remember what the part the place came, what it was. But anyway, it came in the mail and it said, log on to YouTube to find this. And so I did, I logged on to YouTube and I, I mean, I got on YouTube and I punched in this little code. And it, and it brought me this video that showed me exactly how to replace that mirror. It told me to remove this screw first, and you remove this plate next, and this is the tools you're going to need. And, this is, and it walked me through it step by step. I thought it was going to take me like, well, well, the video was about seven minutes long. And I figured double, triple, you know, it'd take me a lot longer than that. So I was planning on an hour. Literally 10 minutes after I started, I was finished. And I looked at the mirror, I'm like, You've got to be kidding me. I thought this was going to be a hard job. It was very simple. I don't know if God's going to have YouTube videos for us when we get to heaven so that we can figure out how to interact and how to act up there. But this is kind of like that. This is a passage of scripture that helps us interact and helps us understand how to uh, respond to spiritual leaders. When it comes to how we do church and what God wants in the church, we need to read the instructions. A few weeks back... We looked in at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, and um, it was talking all about how to, how to choose good spiritual leaders, elders, deacons. Now we're going to see how we want to take care of those spiritual leaders. 
We did a bunch of highlighting in our Bibles last week, and I was very specific with what words you needed to highlight. I'm not going to do that so much, except for one passage here. Um, that, that part where it says, pay them well, I just want you to really underline that and highlight that. I'm just kidding. We're going to look at five principles that we want to pull out of this passage of Scripture. One of those is that, is that, that, first, that first passage of Scripture, verse 17 through 18. When they do well, pay them well. Elders who do their work well should be respected and paid. Verse 17, they should be paid well, especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. For the scripture says you must not muzzle the ox to keep it from eating its, and treads out the grain. In another place, those who work deserve their pay. Both of these passages of scriptures are pulled from the Old Testament. And um, Paul writes them to Timothy. I want you to understand that this is not a, a place of honor. As a spiritual leader, it's not a place. It's not a role. This is a work. This is something that this person is doing, right? So if they are doing it well, we should pay them well. There are many good-meaning individuals who are in ministry because they uh, just can't do anything else. So they land in a role of spiritual leader because no one else wants to do it, and they just sort of land there by default. We often see preachers, ministers, and even elders who fall into these roles because they've been around forever and people think because they're just there, they should have this role or title almost by default. I feel when Paul made this statement to Timothy, it was much more than, oh yeah, Brother Arnold, he's been around for a long time and we should just call him an elder. It's more than that. I think when he was telling Timothy that a spiritual leader should be doing a good job, there should be some results from his labor and his work. Once again, not a title, but a work or a labor. From spiritual leaders, we want them to do a great job, but we want them to be humble. So, so we don't want to pay them too much because, for doing this excellent job because we, want them to, we don't want them to develop some sort of ego. And on the other side of that... Even if the spiritual leader is extremely dull and boring and not getting anything accomplished, we'll hear things like, oh, he's, but he's got such a good heart. And, and bless his heart. If a spiritual leader is not getting the work done, is lazy about the Lord's church, the individual should be allowed to move on. There are many, I wouldn't say majority, but I would say more than you would think. There are many well-meaning leaders in roles of various kinds. Missionaries, elders, deacons, preachers, ministers who aren't doing a good job. They're just not cutting it. We need to call it like it is. Nobody has the guts to tell them that they aren't cutting it. I want you to write down two passages of scripture. And I want you to look at, it, look at them later this week. Write these down. They're not on the screen. They're not in your notes. Leviticus chapter 7. Leviticus chapter 7. Verse 30 through 35. Write that somewhere on your notes. Leviticus 7, 30 through 35. I want you to look at it later. These, these men, the, the guys he was talking about, it was a tribe of Levi. They were the priests. They were God's spiritual leaders. And they were taken care of by God's leaders. The next one I want you to look at is out of the New Testament. And it's 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 through 15. Do some study later on this week and look at these two passages of Scripture. 1 Corinthians 9, 7 through 15 is the second one. Once again, Paul brings this same idea uh, into the New Testament. 
The one that's on the screen, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 6 says, Those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. Once again, we looked at some qualifications back in 1 Timothy 3. What's this, what's this, uh, this elder or this spiritual leader supposed to be like? He said in, in, verse, in chapter 3, verse 3, it says he must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome. And I highlighted this one, and not love money. We don't want a spiritual leader to love money. 1 Peter 5 and verse 2, it says, Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly. Not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. If the spiritual leader isn't eager to serve God in his church, he'll probably be looking for a replacement. When they do well, pay them well. Second principle we want to pull out is when they're criticized, give them the benefit of the doubt. 1 Timothy chapter 5, look at verse 19 with me. It says, Do not listen to an accusation against an elder unless it is confirmed by two or three witnesses. I don't know about you, but most of the time when someone comes to me and says, You know what? I'm just really kind of sick of this person. You know what they did to me? They just... I have a tendency to believe them. Don't you? When someone just comes and tells you something? I have a tendency to believe them. What he's saying here is to go against that natural tendency. We need to go a step further here when dealing with a spiritual leader. And if someone is making an accusation that doesn't come with two or three witnesses, we should remain on the side of that spiritual leader. We should give them the benefit of the doubt. Why did Paul write this to Timothy? Why is it important for a spiritual leader to have the, the backing and have the, the understanding of everyone in the congregation and also be able to bring, if, if there is an accusation, bring that with two or three witnesses. I think the reason is because there's great damage done when stories are spread about spiritual leaders. I think the damage is extreme. Our bias needs to be such that we give the spiritual leader the benefit of the doubt. Look at the way God told the Israelites to interact with each other. These ones are on your sheet, I think. I don't think they're, uh, they're all, I don't think they're written now. Uh, Deuteronomy 17, verse 6. I'm going to read it, read it to you. But never put a person to death on the testimony of only one witness. There must be always two or three witnesses. The witnesses must throw the first stones. And then all the people may join in. In this way, you will purge the evil from among you. I want you to notice something in this passage. Never put a person to death on the testimony of one or two witnesses. There must be always two or three. And what's required of that witness? They are to throw the first stone. What does that do? Anonymity is taken out, isn't it? You can't just anonymously make a statement and get someone killed over it. Deuteronomy 19 and verse 15, same situation, situation here. It says, you must not convict anyone of a crime on the testimony of only one witness. The facts of the case must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If a malicious witness comes forward and accuses someone of a crime, then both the accuser and the accused must appear before the Lord by coming to the priest and the judges of the office at, time, at the time. The judges must investigate the case thoroughly, and if the accuser has brought false charges against his fellow Israelite, you must impose on the accuser the sentence he intended for the other person. 
In this way, you will purge such evil from among you. Then the rest of the people will hear about it and be afraid to do such an evil thing. It's interesting to me that the one who is asked to step forward and throw the first stone was the one who brought the accusation. God doesn't approve of anonymous accusations, and especially against spiritual leaders. I've had this happen. Someone will come up to me and say something like, well, I've been talking to to some people and they don't like, and the story will go on and on and on. My first question is, who are they? It seems like they have a great deal of power in almost every organization. The accuser will say things like, I'm not sure they would want me to tell you who they are. My next statement is simply this. I'm not sure I care what they think. And that should be our statement when we're dealing with a spiritual leader. Oftentimes the they is actually the person that's bringing that accusation has, has come and, and her and her friend and maybe her friend's husband was, was in the other room watching football at the time and they were discussing it and then that's, that's the they, right? The ancient teaching took it even one step further. That passage said that if if you are wrongly accused by another, when that false accuser was found out, they were sentenced with the same penalty that they were trying to impose on you. That would clear up some false accusations, wouldn't it? Be a lot less false accusations against anybody. The New Testament goes right along with the same idea in Matthew 18. If a believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses, you've won that person back. But if you're unsuccessful, take two or three others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. The accuser is not willing to bring two or three witnesses and go public. Paul's telling Timothy to ignore it and side with the spiritual leader. Give them the benefit of the doubt. There's a sin called cynicism. And I believe it kills us spiritually. If I become cynical, if I agree with the spiritual leader, I'll say things like, well, duh, I already got that. If I disagree, I'll say things like, oh man, here he goes again. Are you following me? Do you get that attitude? Do you understand that? If I get to this place of cynicism, I have frozen myself spiritually. I'm not going to be able to grow. I'm not going to be able to get any better. I'm not going to be able to grow in the Lord. I'm just going to, I'm going to freeze spiritually. And in fact, it's going to open the door for Satan to get in and use me for other things and, and, and taint my perception even further. When we're dealing with a spiritual leader, if they're doing well, we need to pay them well. If they, and, and we need to give them the benefit of the doubt. Number three, when they mess up, don't cover it up. When the accusation sticks, don't hide it. Look at verse 20. Those who sin should be reprimanded in front of the whole church. This will serve as a strong warning to others. I solemnly command you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, the highest angels, to obey these instructions without taking sides or showing favoritism to anyone. I don't care how much you admire and look up to and, and, and love that spiritual leader. If they're found in sin... They need to be publicly exposed. The sin needs to be exposed. And I believe it needs to be, and it doesn't have to go into all kinds of detail, but I've I've heard 
that someone is caught in a, in a situation, and that's what it is. That's what, that's what it's spoken of. Oh, they had personal issues. And really what it was, was adultery. Well, they just had, they had some, they had some family issues that they needed to deal with. What was it? Well, it could have been a, a gamut of things. But it wasn't named out. It wasn't called it like what it was. When a sin sticks, when an accusation sticks, we can't hide it. When Paul went to confront Peter, remember in Galatians chapter 2, when Paul was confronting Peter about some things he was doing, look at it with me. Chapter 2 and verse 14, it says, When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, Since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are we now trying to make these Gentiles follow follow the Jewish traditions? This was some sort of problem that Peter was having, and and Paul confronted him right in the midst of others. The point is not to destroy the spiritual leader. Not really trying to you know, trying to go for for roast preacher. Have you seen all that stuff on social media where they hold up a little sign and say roast me? It's messed up. That's not what we're really trying for. But the reason behind this is so that everyone can learn from it. I remember as a young person. A man I very, very much respected came forward in one of our services, stood before the congregation, and confessed a sin. It was no small sin. It was one that not only uh, destroyed much of his, his reputation in his eyes, but it put a damper on his family. He lost his career over it. It was a major deal. I remember the response of another man in the congregation. And that response was, was frightening to me as a young person. I had no idea what was going to take place. The, acu- the accused was standing in front of the congregation. And another man in the congregation came up. He, he came up from far in the back of the, of the room. And he made his way to the front. And I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know if he was going to punch him in the face. I didn't know if he was going to... I had no idea what he was going to do. The sin was confessed. It was brought before the whole congregation. And immediately, a man in the church was man enough to come up and not accuse him further. Not condemn him and belittle him. But he wrapped his arms around him. And I I tear up thinking about it. It was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. And it's, in reality, that's what takes place when the accused, and especially a spiritual leader, when sin is brought out in this way. Why do we know this about great people? Because God said that he wants that to happen. That's that's the direction he wants it to go. Many heroes of faith have moments of of proving their human side. Abraham was full of lies. Moses was a murderer. Rahab was a, a prostitute. David had some major sexual sins. Then you can add premeditated murder to the list. Why do we know this about these great people? Why do we why do we have this? Because God said, publish it. Not for the sake of great drama but to show that flawed people
can serve God in a great way. Second Chronicles 26, we find a story of Uzziah. How many can tell me something about Uzziah? It's spelled U-Z-Z-I-A-H. He's an Old Testament character. How many of you can tell me anything other than you recognize his name? Anybody? Yeah? Okay. That's good. Good. This man was absolutely incredible when it came to what he got accomplished for the country. Isaiah entered the, entered the throne at age 16. How many of you can imagine taking on the role of king at age 16? Prefrontal cortex definitely not fully developed, right? But this guy did amazing things. He became king at 16, couldn't even drive a chariot yet, and he was already king. He really did well. One of the most successful kings in all of Israel. We hear of, of Saul, David, Solomon, and each of them reigning 40 years. Isaiah reigned 52 years. He had an amazing leadership built around him. He had, there was, there was as you read 2 Chronicles 26, you can see very key leaders under him that he established and put into place and led and brought and, and pulled together. He had 2,600 clan leaders who were responsible for 300,700 or 7,500 troops, 307,500 troops. That's a lot of guys. And these were all elite troops. They were all trained to do amazing things. Isaiah provided them, each warrior, with his shield, spears, helmets, coats of armor, bows, arrows, slingshots. I think I want to be a warrior back then. That sounds fun. Isaiah had structures engineered, structures engineered that by, by experts to protect the troops as they attacked the wall. He built some shelters so that as people were throwing rocks and shooting down on the warriors, he had these structures engineered, it says. He was very well known in his time. But before, I told you about him, not, not very many of us had ever heard his name. Why do you think that is? He got caught up in his success. <clears throat> he ended up in the temple performing rituals that were reserved by God for only priests. The scripture says that he was confronted by 80 priests, 80 people. It wasn't just two or three witnesses. It was 80 people that came to approach him. And what did he do? He got angry. He ended up with leprosy right there in the temple and he was forced to leave the temple and isolate himself. He lived the rest of his life in isolation. The kingdom was given to another. He wasn't even allowed to be buried in the king's cemetery. He was remembered. It says in the scripture in quotes, he was remembered for dying with leprosy. But yet he had 52 years of prosperity. Israel realized its widest borders while he was king. He had the greatest troops and the greatest, the greatest diplomacy that Israel has ever seen. Yet we have one chapter about him. And he was buried in a cemetery, not a king's cemetery, a layman's cemetery, with a tombstone that said he died with leprosy. Great leaders can be taken down by, by small things. We need to be careful when we, when we approach. Yes, bring two or three witnesses, but if, a, if an accusation sticks, we need to not cover it up. 
Number four, when we choose one, you need to take your time. We covered this in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, um, but verse five, or chapter 5, verse 22 says, Never be in a hurry about appointing a church leader. Do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Don't be in a hurry to appoint a church leader. Chapter 3 and verse 6, he says, You must not be a recent convert. Chapter 3 and verse 10, he says, The deacon has to be tested first and then put into place. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this one because we have talked about it before. We should never rush in, rush others into leadership. Don't ever put a spiritual leader into leadership, into that role, or allow them to do that work. Um, and don't do it hastily. Take your time. And last but not least, but uh, when, we're, when we're dealing with spiritual leaders, number five, when they're human, don't be shocked. Treat them well when they work hard, do their, do, their, do their job well, pay them well. When there's accusations, make sure they're brought by two or three witnesses. And when there is sin, expose it biblically and publicly. The circle of exposure should match their circle of influence. All along the way, don't be shocked by the fact that God's spiritual leaders are merely human. 1 Timothy 5, 23 through 25. And we, some, sometimes we just kind of avoid that, chat, that verse 23. And just move on to 24 and 25. But 23 is important too. And I believe it's basically the same, the same idea that, that spiritual leaders are human. Don't drink only water. You ought to drink a little wine for your stomach. And for and sake, sake of your stomach because you are sick so often. And then verse 24, remember the sins of some people are obvious, leading them to certain judgment. But there are others whose sins will be revealed until later. In the same way, the good deeds of some are obvious, and the good deeds done in secret will someday come to light. Once again, this, this verse 23 is often skipped over. Most people at the time, they would drink a bit of wine. Back in this day, they would drink a bit of wine with their meals. Their wine was probably not as intoxicating as ours, but nonetheless, it was probably, it was more than likely fermented. Think about back in those days. Did they have refrigerators back there? No, probably not. How would you keep, how long does it, Robin, how long does the, the grape juice for the Lord's Supper, um, how long does it have to sit out accidentally before it gets weird? Not very long. I'll put apple juice in Corbin's sippy cup in the morning. I'll put it in there and he'll carry it around all day. There's a little bit left in there. I go to refill it and I take the lid off. That's pretty strong stuff. So I clean it out and give it some. No, actually, I just keep. You know. <laughs> he'll sleep better. More than likely, there was this was a a, a typical thing that happened. They would drink a bit of wine with their meals. And at the time, Ephesus was an old city. It had old, it had everything about it was old. The sewers probably ran right through the, the city, uh, right down the center of the road, just like they do in, in those old towns. There was, there was probably contaminated water. Paul knew that Timothy had, and, and this is the beauty of it. Paul knew that Timothy had stomach problems. He knew that there was a problem. And for some reason, Timothy had made this vow or made this decision to not go down that road and not partake in wine. But he was having trouble with his stomach because there must have been something in the water that is giving Timothy some problems. So Paul's recommending have a little wine with your meal or with your water 
so that your, that your uh, stomach doesn't have as much problems. No matter the reason, Timothy was frequently getting sick from stomach problems. Paul told Timothy it's better to mix a little wine in and prevent those sicknesses than to be sick all the time. Then Paul goes into sin. Good deeds will be found out, but so will sin. Timothy had human flaws. He was human. He was a pretty cool dude. He's mentioned a lot in the scripture, the book of Acts, and, and he's got two, two letters written to him. This guy was a pretty amazing character, but he had flaws. There were moments when he was, we saw it last chapter, he was too young. He says, don't let them look down on you because you are young, but be an example, right? So he was too young at times. There were times when he was timid. Remember the passage of scripture that, that, that talks about our timidity. And he was talking specifically to Timothy. There were times when he was sickly. And this is one of those. Anytime we look at a spiritual leader as more than just a messenger from God, we are looking for trouble. They're human and they will let us down. I wouldn't mention it if I didn't think it was a problem. I've seen many people fall away from God or get mad at God when a spiritual leader falls. The person that falls was relying on man more than they were relying on God. It's not a good idea. Spiritual leaders are going to fall. They're going to have flaws. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to sin. Call it whatever you want. They will mess up. I've used this quote before, but embed this in your head. God draws straight lines with crooked sticks. When we look at a message it's, and it's a straight line, we assume it's because there's a straight stick behind it. We got it all wrong. There's a master who takes a young, timid, sickly Timothy and draws a straight line, a perfectly straight line. Anytime we get our eyes off of God and onto a spiritual leader, Satan wins. If he's got our eyes on a spiritual leader rather than on God, he's got our eyes right where Satan wants them. If you get close enough to any spiritual leader, they will let you down. They won't always have some, some major moral failure, but they will always let you down. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5 and 6, it says, when, they, when we arrived in Macedonia, there was no rest for us. We faced conflict from every direction with battles on, uh, on the outside and fear on the inside. But God who encourages those who are discouraged encouraged us by the arrival of Titus. Spiritual leaders are going to have failures. They're going to face fears. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 7 says, now, uh, ha now have this light shining in our hearts. But we ourselves are like fragile clay pots containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. We're like fragile clay pots containing this great message. Spiritual leaders have clay feet. We're going to fall. We're going to make a mistake. They're, they're going to they're gonna have failures. Keep your eyes on God, not on spiritual leaders. When dealing with spiritual leaders... If they're doing good, pay them well. When they get criticized, make sure they have, give them the benefit of the doubt. When, the mess, when they mess up, don't cover it up. Take some time when you're choosing one, and don't be shocked when they're human.
I'm gonna wrap up with these three questions. When it comes to those who minister to you, ask yourself this question. When it comes to those who minister to me, ask yourself this question. Am I generous or am I stingy? Number two, do I believe the best or the worst? And most important, number three, is my focus on God or is it on man? God's message, your move. I think it's important that we interact with spiritual leaders in a way that God wants us to.